finish, and I trust tonight be a blessing. Now, I feel tonight I can be a little more direct with you. It's been my last time with you for a while. You got your fill. I was here the last Sunday in December, the second Sunday in January, and now the last Sunday in January. Uh, I didn't run out of sermons. I just ran out of invitations. <laughs> but it's been a joy to me. And somehow, I don't know how you feel, but somehow I, I sense it's almost been like a revival meeting. That God touched us in many different ways and moved to this morning service. It was a wonderful blessing, you know. And, uh, I wasn't exactly sure why that young man was coming forward when I didn't ask anybody to come forward. It always makes me a little nervous. Uh, you know, and I kept an eye on him here, but he seemed like he was gentle enough, but uh, he was inquisitive and quietly sat in the front through the rest of the service. Uh, I really sense, folks, you know me, and I know you over the years. We're no strangers. But I really sense the Spirit of God moving among us. But, you know, sometimes it's hard to see, and for you to see that. You could be in the middle of greatness and not see it. But someone from the outside looking in can see it. And you can get too familiar with God's blessing that you don't see it anymore. I talked with a pastor, a great soul winning pastor. And uh, I said, how are things going? He says, ah, we're going all right. I said, they are? He says, yeah. He says, I guess we had like seven or eight people saved this morning and four baptized, you know. How do you get used to that? <laughs> I mean, one person gets say, "Woo, I'm flying high. I thank God for that, you know. But you can get used to the blessing of God where it becomes commonplace and no longer appreciative. And it's just like anything else. The Bible says when Jesus went to his hometown there, he said he did not many great works there. Why? Because of their unbelief. Says, yeah, we know him. He's familiar to us. He's Joseph, the carpenter's son. Uh, you know, the, and they got too familiar. And they f forgot to see all the works that Jesus does. Never get over what God is doing here. Never get over of God's blessing. And always see it new and afresh. Lest God, like that, can take it away. He gave and he could withhold. And uh, I'm, I'm thankful for you folks. It's been a joy. I mean, over these weeks, I have to retrain my car not to come this way. It seems like it be an automatic pilot, you know. I just go there and boom, and it knows where to go. But uh, we appreciate your prayers for us as we continue to travel across America. We have a busier schedule coming up this summer. And we thank God for that. And uh, uh, we're looking forward to what God's doing. We have an eight-day meeting. We don't get too many of those. I get one once one be one or two a year. Uh, eight day. Can you imagine going eight-day revival meeting? Some of you are already cringing. Yeah. <laughs> eight days. We start on Sunday, preach Sunday, Sunday morning, Sunday school, Sunday night, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, then Sunday school, uh, Sunday morning and Sunday night again for eight straight days. And uh, we have one of those coming up this summer, and it's, it's, it's something that I'm looking forward to. I preach many of them, but we sometimes just can find God to a weekend, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, and not every church can have an eight-day meeting. I understand that, but uh, 
someday, maybe God will lay it upon your heart to have an extended meeting, maybe two or three preachers that will come. And I'm just looking forward to what God's going to be doing uh, here. Take your Bibles tonight, if you will, and turn to the Gospel of Mark, chapter number 2. Sometimes I could say things to the Sunday night crowd that I can't say to the Sunday morning crowd. <laughs> you know, the Sunday morning crowd sometimes can be super sensitive, and you, if you say something that offends somebody, well, they don't come back to church for a month or something, you know. And it, it's strange how some people are, are, are offended. I remember visiting with a pastor one time, and he said, we're going over to Miss So-and-So's house for, for lunch. He said, now, Brother Susan, uh, I just want to warn you, she's high strung." And she's very easily offended. And if you offend her, she won't come to church for a month or so. So I'm, and I'm nervous. I don't know what to say. I try to be nice and polite, you know, and compliment her. And she seemed kind of nice. And uh, we, she said, Brother Susan, I want you. I did something that I've been wanting to do for a long time and wasn't able to do, but I did it on behalf of your coming. I said, what's that? She says, we have a cherry tree in the backyard and I made a homemade cherry pie. Well, that sounded good to me, you know. And so uh, she cut me a nice piece of cherry pie, and I had a cup of coffee, and uh, I took a bite of that and got, didn't take the pit out. <laughs> now, what do you do? <laughs> I don't want to offend her, just go, <laughs> spit the thing. I, I, you know, I, I didn't want to swallow it. I mean, you know, growing up, you swallow watermelons, and get watermelons go in your stomach, you know. And so I didn't want to, I didn't want to swallow it, so I kind of gathered them on the side of my cheek. And I'm eating them, sure. and that side got full. And so I'm gathering them on this side. I look like a chipmunk, you know, gathering all these pits from the, and the pasta was kind of doing the same thing, you know. Uh, and I didn't know what to do with it. I had a mouthful of, of cherry pits. And finally her son comes in and says, ah, mom, can I have some pies? He said, sure. And she cut him a piece. Now, he wasn't polite at all. And he took one bite of that pie and he just spit the thing out and said, mom, this got, this got, and I couldn't hold it anymore. I just took a napkin and like a machine gun. <laughs> she was not offended, but I was worried that you offend somebody. Now, if I offend you because of me and my personality, I could apologize for that. But if you're offended because of what the Bible teaches, that's your problem. If you're offended of the truth because it may touch you, then you have an issue. You'll excuse me for being me, but I can apologize for that. But I cannot apologize for what the Bible teaches. We all heard the story of the, I guess, little boy in Holland, remember, by the dike uh, there, and there was a leak, remember that? And uh, the old legend goes, and he, he stuck his finger in the hole, remember, because, you know, if water came through, it would get bigger in the whole town. And he stuck in and called for help, and he saved the town because he held back the water with his uh, little finger there. And I want to preach to you tonight about sometimes us stopping up the blessings of God from flowing. God has a great amount of blessings for you and for me. We could not even number the blessings that God has for us. But I wonder sometimes if we don't, when God starts to pour out his blessing, we don't stop it up and stop it from uh, flowing tonight. Now, God wants to bless. God can bless. 
where we often stop, stop him. Now, here's our text tonight in Mark chapter 2. And uh, uh, let's start with, uh, let me see, what verse, verse number 4. Let's start with verse 1 to get the whole thing in context. And again, now remember, he was here before. That's why the Bible says, and again, he was in Capernaum before, and he left, and he came back. And again, he entered into Capernaum. And after some days, it was noised that he was in the house. Oh, I like that. It was noised that Jesus was in the house. Somehow word got out, Jesus is in there. Somehow word got out. That Je- I mean, it was noise. You ought to make a big thing about the Lord showing up in your church services. You ought to make a big thing about the presence of God uh, among you. It was noise that he was in the house. And straightway, because of that, and straightway, many were gathered together. Insomuch, there was no room to receive them. no. Not so much as about the door. Now, can you imagine tonight? We've got a lot of empty uh, pews here tonight. We've got a lot of empty sites, a lot of empty areas. Can you imagine tonight if you came to church and you start to pull into the parking lot and all you couldn't pull in? There were cars parked all the way along both sides trying to get in there. And the parking lot, I mean, it was jam-packed and parked and double-parked and everything and crowds. And you said, what's going on tonight? And you get out of your car after finding some place to park it, and you start and and you couldn't get in the door because there were so many people that the place was packed. I mean, there was no room. You had the pews filled. You had extra chairs in the front, and even had chairs up on the platform. That happened to me in a little church in in, in Pennsylvania, Western Pennsylvania, and uh, a little church only holds 150. And we had a big youth rally. We had over 300 in that church. It only holds 150. You imagine we were packed and we had chairs on the pulpit, right? I mean, all around me, the uh, young people were sitting. There was no place else to put them uh, there. And uh, there was no aisles. We had to put chairs in the aisles. And when it came time for the invitation, I had them stand and fold up the folding chairs and pass them to the side so we have an aisle for people to come. I mean, it was amazing. But can you imagine? Can you imagine not even be able to get into the door because there were so many people trying to get in? Now, let me ask you, would that be a blessing? It sure would. How does that happen? First of all, you got a noise that Jesus is in the house. <laughs> you got to make it say, why do you, anybody ever ask you, why do you go to church so much? How many times you go to church? Well, I go three times on Sunday, and I, I go once uh, midweek, sometimes more. If we have revival, I, I'm in church every night. So why do you go to church so much? It says, because I meet the Lord there. I mean, make noise that Jesus is in the house. And the crowd, and when the crowd heard that Jesus was in the house, they all gathered together. And notice what he did. He did not have a musical program for them. <laughs> now, I'm not against musical programs, which I enjoy them. And in the past, I know your choir, when you had somebody to direct it, did a fabulous job. I mean, it's tremendous. And, and uh, your, your cantatas, your Christmas cantatas, and I remember being here uh, for, for some of them. And, and, and your Easter but it's not the music program that people need to hear. It's a blessing, and it could be a drawing card. But you notice it says Jesus preached the word. He preached the word. Said, oh, if we only had entertainment. If churches have tried that, and they've gone down the liberal and, 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 and the worldly road. Now, I know today, and I can speak frankly with you tonight, 
Uh, you get mad at me? Okay, be a year before I come back. You'll get over it. And, but uh, uh, there are some churches that you can't tell them from the world. You can't tell them from the world. Now, I'm not an old fuddy-duddy. You know me. <laughs> I, 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 I like modern conveniences. I like electricity. Don't take away my indoor plumbing and hot water. You know, <laughs> I like that. And I'm no fuddy-duddy, and I think, you know, it's times do change a little bit, but there are some things you don't alter in time because God is eternal, and he doesn't change, and his holiness doesn't change. And so, but, but church said, well, we got to do something to attract people. And so they become worldly. Now, they say, and the term is used, progressive. There's nothing progressive about it. It's regressive. It's going back to the worldly ways. It's not the new walk of life. I always say, oh, you mean worldly. Let's call it for what it is. It's the world. And so they have done away with so much. The music has changed to the point where you don't even recognize it. Uh, my wife and I were in a church, used to support us as missions. And we have just a handful of churches. I think probably count them on, on two, two hands uh, that support us as, as missionaries. And they realize you get to go to places that can't fully fund you. We understand we want to have a part in helping you uh, to reach these smaller churches. And big churches, they fly anybody in around the country, put them up in a nice hotel. But sometimes it's those little struggling churches that need the help, that need the preaching, that, that need the encouragement, that need the revival. And, and we've gone to churches like that, and they were just, they, they couldn't meet our needs, and we didn't ask them to. They didn't even know what our needs were, but we didn't care. We're servants of the Lord. We work for God. Uh, you know, now your church is taking care of us well. We have no complaints about that. And they used to support us like that. They believed in our ministry. Uh, then they decided uh, a new pastor came, and they decided to change things. They took the pulpit away, and they took the pianos away uh, there, uh, and they put in some drums, and they put in some, some lights and some other things and, and electric guitars. Now, I'm not opposed to instruments in the church, but remember, they ought to complement the music and not be the music, and there's a big difference between the two. And uh, they, they cut our support in half, saying, well, the funds aren't there. Well, that doesn't sound like progressive to me. That sounds like regressive. And uh, then later on uh, down the road, they cut the funds again in half. And then later on, they just dropped them completely and we've heard nothing from them. And on one particular Sunday, my wife and I didn't have any place to preach. Well, I didn't have any place to preach. Not her. She don't preach. But <laughs> I didn't have any place to preach. And so we were up in there. I said, you know, let's go visit that church, see how they're doing. Well, I walked in, and I didn't know most of the people there. There's been a big turnover. A lot of folks left because they didn't like the worldliness of the church, and they wanted a church that was more uh, to the uh, style that they were used to. The old-time hymns were sung and everything, and the old-time gospel preached. Uh, but I knew we had, still had a few friends there. And we sat down, and a pastor came out, and, uh, and he noticed us. <laughs> and he made mention of us being there, and it was very kind of him. He had some nice words to say about us over the years. And he says, you know what, folks? We've not sung Amazing Grace in a long time. I'm not surprised. And I think it was for my benefit, he said, let's sing Amazing Grace. I'll never forget. Two things happened. One thing, the drummer got mad. You could see it. He sat there, honey, he sat there and he took his drumsticks and he goes, but he put a platform, but he could see him. And he's pouting. 
Of course, how are you going to beat the drums to Amazing Grace? And hit the cymbal. I mean, and he said, and all during the song, he's pouting. All during, he didn't even try to sing himself. And the fellow on the guitar, he didn't know what he was doing. He didn't know how to get any key or any note for uh, Amazing I mean, it was, it was pathetic. And I saw the drummer look over at another drummer over on the other side, and they were kind of making rolling eyes with each other uh, there. And, uh, and, and he kind of went like, <laughs> you know, like that's what he wanted to do. And, and how sad, how sad, how sad. We need to make noise that Jesus is in the house. I'm not opposed to music. You know that. I'm not opposed. If you want to have done nicely, and I know I've been in church, they had orchestras. And they had drums, they had violins, they had, uh, what's that big, uh, cello, uh, cello, and even a bass. And a, but it was done to a compliment and not predominate in the service. It's, he preached the word unto them. That's what the world needs, is preaching. And we've even dropped that word. And pastors come out and says, well, <clears throat> Let me share with you what God laid on my heart. The Bible doesn't say anything about sharing. It doesn't. You won't find a word in the Bible. Sorry. Well, you'll find plowshares, but we're not talking about that. But you don't say, nowhere in the Bible that says, go into all the world and share Jesus. But it does say, go into all the world and what? Preach the gospel, right? For it pleased God by the foolishness of sharing. No, it pleased God what? By the foolishness of preaching. That's a strong word. Preaching. And he preached the word unto them. I don't know about you, but I want to be like Jesus and preach the word. Now notice what happened in this text. In verse 3. And by the way, the, the preaching and the lack of music did not hinder the crowd from coming. And if you win them by the world, you're going to have to keep them by the world. And if you win them by gimmicks, you're going to have to keep them by gimmicks. I'm not opposed to promotion and Sunday school contests. and we, we, We've had them and, and all. But it was always in the intent of preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so with all of that, the Bible says in verse 3, And they came unto him bringing one sick of the palsy. This was a disease that he could not walk. And he was borne by four. Now, he was like on a stretcher. He couldn't walk. They knew Jesus was in the house. He wanted to go to Jesus. We find later on he's looking for a healing. And he heard about Jesus healing the miracles that he did. But he couldn't walk. But he had four friends. Whoever they were, I don't know if they were family, neighbors, I have no idea. But they had four people, one on each corner of that stretcher, carrying him to Jesus. And I wonder, I wonder, how many have we carried to Jesus? in our life and in our ministry. How many have we brought? When I was a pastor, I 
stood outside the door, as many pastors do, looking out the window of the cars coming in the driveway. I still do it at High Point once in a while while I'm there. I stand at the door and I see cars come down the road and I get excited when I see a signal light come on. <laughs> so, oh, they're coming in the driveway. Sometimes they come in the driveway before or the driveway, and I get disappointed. But <laughs> I, and, I, and, I, and then I began noticing as cars came in that many times a car had, would hold five, but there were only two in it. Sometimes a car would hold six, but there was only two in it. And one Sunday, I began adding up all the empty seats in the cars that came to church. And I thought, what would happen if we used our cars, the empty back seat, to bring somebody to Jesus like these guys did? And I had what I called uh, Gasoline Evangelist Sunday. <laughs> and I challenged folks, come to church with a full car. And what a blessing it was. And we saw folks get saved and continue on in the things of the Lord. You're already coming to church, right? Well, I don't want my back seat to get messed up. Well, shame on you. I don't like my back seat getting messed up. But if it gets messed up bringing somebody to church, I'm going to rejoice. Heard about a fellow just like that. He had a nice, nice car. And uh, white seats. Now, that's dangerous. I had one car, one time, white seats, never again. And if you ever had one, you know what I'm talking about. Looked nice, but trying to keep them clean. And so he had some nephews. They got in the back, and they had some ice cream. And the mother says, oh, oh, don't go spilling ice cream in Uncle Bill's car. Don't go. He goes, what are you talking about? Give me that ice cream. He took the ice cream, and he rubbed it all over the car. <laughs> he said, I don't get a car for a showcase. Enjoy it. But sometimes I wonder if we do that with our life. Sometimes we do it with church. We don't want these kind of people coming into our church. I was criticized when we had our bus ministry. Well, preacher, you're going to keep bringing in these bus kids? I said, as long as God allows us to, we will. They complained. One of the biggest complaints I got from a deacon was, preacher, we got to talk. Got me in my office, and he pointed his finger at me. He said, Preacher, do you know that since you've been bringing in all of these bus kids, we've never used as much toilet paper as we have lately? That's his concern. Later on, we found out that some of these kids didn't have any at home, and they were stealing it and taking it home. <laughs> Once we found that out, we brought a box to the house and said, solved that problem. But is that what we want? Is a nice church. We don't want it messed up with sinners walking down the aisle or sitting in, is that really what we want? Is that really our priorities? Nobody likes to have dents and scratches in their car. You just buy a brand new automobile and you pay what, 20, 30, whatever you pay for the car or, and everything. And you, my suggestion, if you're really worried about it, you know how you get those dings in the door because somebody parks the car and boom, just go out there, kick it in one time, that's done. <laughs> Get it over with. <laughs> That's done. <laughs> and they brought him to Jesus. But there's a problem in verse number four. And when they could not come nigh unto him for the press, there were so many people, they couldn't get close to Jesus. They uncovered the roof where he was. 
And when they had broken it up, they let down the bed wherein the sick of the palsy. Now stop and think about this. We got to get in to see Jesus. We can't, too many people. But what are we going to do? They didn't give up. They didn't say, well, another time. We'll come back when the crowd is smaller. No, we're going to take advantage of the time now. Jesus is here. They went up on the roof. and they, Now, they must have brought some tools with them and some ropes. Now, folks, I'll be honest with you. Uh, if I saw you come to church tonight and you had some ropes and some axes, I'd be a little concerned. <laughs> But they must have had something with them. They went up. Now you notice something. They chopped up the. Now he was on a stretcher. And they let him down. This wasn't one little manhole. That, they, that had to be a pretty big hole. Now, can you imagine if we're here tonight and all of a sudden this ceiling starts breaking up and plaster start falling down and everything? Uh, that's what happened. I remember that time. But you remember. Some of you other folks remember when you were down on um, Torrington for. for Toynford Road, uh, and that building there. You remember, there were, no there were no windows in the building, remember? But along the top of that building, you had translucent windows, which means they weren't transparent to see through, but they were trans you couldn't see through them, but they let light through. Do you remember that night I was preaching a revival? I remember as clear as day. I don't remember what I was preaching. I don't think it was this text. But all of a sudden, while I am preaching, you could hear... Remember that? And I go, what? And then you looked up at the lights and red and blue lights going. So what? And somebody had called in a, a, a chimney fire, which really wasn't there. I don't know if it was just the devil and somebody or whatever it was. But the fire department had to respond. And so they come with their fire trucks, put the ladders up, go up on the roof, and you hear them walking around, and we're inside having a revival meeting here. Now, that shook us up a little bit that night, but we kept on going anyway. We're Baptists, you know. Take more than that to, to, to chase us out. And uh, here they broke up the, and they left. That had to be a pretty big hole to let a man in the stretcher down. Now, notice what happened. In verse 5, when Jesus saw their faith, that's what I want Jesus to see in my life, that kind of faith. I'm not giving up. I'm not giving up. You got a loved one. Don't give up on him. You got a friend. You got a neighbor. Don't give up on him. Jesus saw their faith. If I could just get him to Jesus. If I could just get him to Jesus. Jesus saw their faith. And he said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, thy sins be Forgiven thee. No, 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 Jesus. You got it all wrong. We didn't come here for a religious service. He needs the healing. He needs a strength in his feet and in his legs. Uh, he can't walk. He has the palsy. He can't go. He can't walk. He had to be carried by others. And, and, and what he needs, the Lord knew what he needed more than physical healing. He needed a spiritual healing of his soul. And the Lord didn't even mention his physical infirmity until later on in the passage of Scripture. And the first thing he needed was not a physical healing, but a spiritual healing. Folks, that's what you and I need tonight. You say, well, I need greater finances. No, you need a spiritual healing. You say, well, no, I got a pain inside and I got a physical infirmity. I need a healing. That's true. But first of all, you need a spiritual healing. That comes before everything else. I'd rather go to heaven in pain than live in comfort on this earth and go to hell. 
few hours ago, I, as I mentioned this morning, went back to Waterbury Hospital. My cousin was worse off than he was last night. Last night, it was some response. Today, just kind of staring out into nothing. His breathing became harder and harder. Every breath, he seemed to labor. And it won't be much longer. And I said to him and the family that was there, I said, soon he will be out of his pain and he'll be with Jesus forevermore. I'd rather have sickness, pain, and sorrow here to have what he promised me up there. And so Jesus healed him. He said, son, thy sins be forgiven thee. You see, too many times we seek God for the wrong reason. But I want to go on real, real quick, and it will be real, real quick because I didn't get to the message yet. That was on my introduction. But, you know, I have long introductions and quick messages. So here goes real quick. What are some of the barriers? There, there was a barrier stopping this man from coming to Jesus, wasn't it? The people. But they over, what are some of the barriers we have in our life that stops the blessing of God? Number one, I think a covetous spirit. Now, it does not the Tenth Commandment say, thou shalt not covet. What is covetousness? You know what it is? Me first. That's what it is. Boy, don't we have a lot of that today. You got to take care of number one. I agree. Only to me, Jesus is number one. I'm third down the list. What's that song? Joy. Uh, Jesus, others, and you. What a wonderful way to spell joy. Young people sometimes sing that. Jesus first, others second, and yourself last. That's where uh, joy comes in. And you could remember in Joshua 7, the account there, when God says, go in and destroy everything. And there was a fellow by the name of Achan. Remember him? And uh, he saw a uh, Babylonian garment, and it was his size. <laughs> and he saw some shekels sitting around. And boy, you could always use a few extra shekels, you know. And the Bible says he coveted them. And because of that, a great defeat came upon God's people. And he and his wife later uh, died because of it. There was sin in the camp and stopped the blessing of God and brought defeat. The me first attitude there. And does not the Bible teach us uh, there about the sin of covetousness, maybe of money, maybe of time. You covet your time. Oh, I ain't got time to go to church. My time's too important. I have to do. That's being covetous there, uh, coveting your time rather than giving it to God. What did I preach to uh, one of the services time passed in his last three weeks. Then I preached about, I think it was the first service of the early service about the brevity of time and 168 hours a week. You ever think of tithing your time? You have 168 hours a week. Calculate it if you want to. I might be wrong, but I'm pretty sure I'm right. You tithe your income. How about tithing your time? Can you imagine if we gave God 16 hours? Forget the point eight. We'll just go 16 hours. Count Sunday school, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. Count all of that if you want to. But that still leaves an awful lot of time, isn't it, for God? God only. No cell phone, no TV, no nothing. I've been thinking about this in my own life. Am I coveting my own time? Covetousness will stop the blessing of God. I think secondly, uh, a rebellious spirit. 
stops the blessing of God. Uh, you remember the story of Jonah? You remember Jonah in the Bible, right? He went to Whale Seminary for three days. Remember him? <laughs> or Fish College, maybe, whatever you want to call it. You know the account. God says, go, preach to Nineveh, right? Go. Jonah said, no. God said, oh. And Jonah had woe. <laughs> three days and three nights in the belly of the whale. Now, folks, I don't know about you, but what do you do when you're in the belly of a whale? <laughs> I mean, it's dark. There's no light in it. It's slimy. You're in the stomach. Maybe critters and fish swimming all I can't smell good, that's for sure. Three days. Now, I don't know about you, but, man, three seconds, I would like to think I'm out of here. He was so hard and so far and so rebellious against God, took him three days to come to repentance. And finally, he made the whale sick and his whale spit him out. <laughs> and he obeyed God, but he rebelled. He finally did what God wanted him to do, but what a price he had to pay to get there. You know, in the end, you'll bow the knee to Jesus, but oh, the price you will pay for rebellion to get there. We can take time, but we could talk about Korah and Dathan and Byram and the scriptures, how they rebelled also, and the earth swallowed up and fire come down from heaven and destroyed them. Don't rebel against God's will for your life. Well, I don't like God leading me, and I don't. God knows better than you. Your, your children may rise up and say, well, you don't know what it's like to be a kid. Well, I was a kid before they were. I often say with young people, I see a young lady, and I see a young lady, I said, a young lady, how old are you? She says, well, I'm 16. I said, okay. How old do you think I am? <laughs> and they're all over the place sometimes, you know. And, uh, and I said, you're 16. I said, hmm. Okay, I'm, I'll be 74 this year. Uh, you're 16, I'm 74. Who do you think knows more about being 16? One that just went into it? Or one that's already gone through it? Multiple times. <laughs> and so it is. You think you know more than God? You think you have more wisdom to know God's will and what's best for your life than the Lord does? Don't rebel. Rebellion, the Bible says, is as the sin of witchcraft. I think we move on and we see in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse number 10, a worldly spirit is a barrier to blessing. 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse number 10, Paul's talking about a young man. You turn there. I read this, and it breaks my heart. You see, before the 38 years I've been an evangelist, I was a pastor for 12 years. I know what it's like. I feel, telling my wife tonight, I just, I feel for pastors all across America. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 10, Paul says, For Demas hath forsaken me. Why, having loved this present world and is departed. It hurts to lose a church member because of worldliness. 
I know how Paul must have felt. Demas was there and Paul, I don't know if Paul led him to the Lord, but it seemed like they had a rapport with each other. But there came a time in Demas' life that says, I don't want this type of religion anymore. And somehow the lights of the world got brighter than the light of Jesus and forsook him. I know what it's like. Men that I had led to the Lord, I had baptized, discipled, went soul winning together. One soul has come in my office and announced that he was angry and upset about something that was going to leave the church. How sad when worldliness sets in and people forsake. I know Paul's heart was broken. I can feel with him. A worldly spirit is always a barrier to blessing. <laughs> but sometimes we're kind of like the Sunday school teacher that was talking about Lazarus and the rich man. You remember there in the Bible, Lazarus and the rich man. Talked about the rich man had everything down here, clothes and food and everything. And the beggar, Lazarus, he didn't have nothing. And they both died, remember? And as Jesus spoke, not a parable, but an actual account. And, and, and he says, and the beggar went to heaven, and, 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 and the rich man went to hell. Now, which one do you want to be? And there's always a politician in the group. <laughs> and one little boy said, when I'm living, the rich man, and when I'm dying, the beggar man. <laughs> Folks, you can't have it both ways. Jesus said, if you're not with me, you're against me. Well, I'm not against God. That's what Jesus said. You're on God's side or you're not on God. There's no middle ground. And worldliness will often determine what ground we really are, are on. Going on real quickly. Uh, prayerlessness is a barrier to blessing. In James chapter 4, when you remember what James says here about praying, and James in the fourth chapter uh, tells us in beginning with verse number, uh, verse number two, ye lost and have not. Ye kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. Ye fight in war, yet ye have not because you didn't ask for it. You ask not. Jesus is talking about prayer. Oh, but I ask. Oh, the next verse. Ye ask and receive not because ye ask amiss that ye may consume it upon your lust. He's not talking about Jim. Lord, bless me so I can have. Bless me so I am happy. God, do for me so I feel good. You pray for your own satisfaction when we need to learn from the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Prayerlessness in our life towards God. You don't know the power of prayer, and neither do I. But when it is unleashed, you cannot stop it. John Knox, great missionary to Scotland has such a burden, compulsion in his prayer life for Scotland. One day they had a family gathering. And they said, where's John? Oh, he was out in the garden. No, that's the Europe way of saying in the backyard. Okay. <laughs> he's, he's in the garden uh, there. 
and they went out looking for John and they couldn't find him and they hear muffles, muffled sounds, pounding sounds. And when they found it and there was John Knox face down in the soil with his fist pounding the soil. He said, God, give me Scotland or I die. God, give me Scotland or I die. God brought him to Scotland and he set off a spiritual powder keg that could be seen to this day. So great for the ministry of John Knox that the Mary, Queen of Scots, once said, I fear the prayers of John Knox more than any army of the world. Where's our, are we, why are we so prayerless in our life? And we pray to consume it upon ourselves. Listen to your prayers. There's nothing wrong to pray for your needs. Don't misunderstand me. And I'm just bringing the pendulum back to where it belongs. And sometimes analyze your prayers. How much is you as opposed to him and to others? You have not because you ask not. You ask, but you ask amiss, consuming it upon your own loss. Oh, I go on. I'm just going to mention a few more things. We'll be done. An unforgiving spirit. What was Jesus' first words on the cross? He was whipped. He was beaten. They drove the nails in his hand. They put him. What was his first words? Father, what? Forgive. (laughs) Do you have forgiveness in your heart for somebody? Somebody hurt you. They hurt you bad. And you didn't do anything wrong, but you were hurt, and you carry that bitterness inside. Folks, I want you to know it's hurting you more than it is that other person. You have to learn to forgive. Now, let me again make this clear, and I hope I had in the past, but in case you've forgotten. To forgive does not mean to say, it's okay what you did. When God forgives you, he doesn't say, oh, it's okay that you sinned. No, it wasn't okay. He said, but I paid the price for it, and I'm not going to hold it to your account. To forgive is simply to say, I'm not going to let your sin become a sin unto me. But there are people here, maybe even in this auditorium tonight, I don't know who you are, I'm not going to pick you out, and I don't care. But there's something in your heart that you've been carrying for a long time, and you never got over the hurt. I'm not saying that's easy, but I am saying it is possible. You never got over the hurt. And you have an unforgiving spirit. That will hold back the blessings of God. Critical spirit, the same way. How critical we are. I'm going to close. I got some else, but I'll just close with this one. Critical. Boy, do we like to criticize. If I were to say, what's wrong with the church? Some folks, I mean, they would come with a notebook filled. <laughs> well, where do I start? I was counseling a husband and wife one time, and I gave him a homework assignment. I said, I want you to go home, and I want you to write down things that you can criticize about your spouse, about each other. Well, next week they come back in, and she had a notebook. I asked her, he says, Preacher, you want to know what's wrong with our marriage? Here, that's what's wrong with our marriage. And I kind of just leafed through it a little bit, page after page after page. And I said, sir, where's yours? He goes, oh, yeah, 
and he reaches in his pocket and he pulls out a little piece of paper. <laughs> he unfolds it and hands it to me. And I read his note. It says, I guess the only criticism I have for my wife is that she lost her first love for Jesus. When I criticize, you could find a lot to criticize. You can criticize the preacher. Folks like doing that. Right? He makes too many mistakes like you don't. Well, he misread something like you never have. <laughs> Maybe that's why I got a lot of people that like me. I give them a lot of ammunition for things they don't like <laughs> about preachers. <laughs> to criticize. Find fault. Church is too hot. Church is too cold. Church is too loud. Church is too soft. Church is blah, 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 And go on and on and criticize. When all the time, you're in the midst of God's blessing, and you don't see it. And we want to criticize. I was visiting a man one time, and he was a beekeeper. Now, I don't, I don't like bees. Snakes, spiders, they don't bother me. Bees, I don't know. I don't like bees. And he was a beekeeper, and I was having lunch with him and spending Sunday afternoon at his house. And he was bragging about his bees. I really wasn't interested. And he says, come on out. I want to show you my bees. I was less than enthused. <laughs> and we went out, and he had a plexiglass room, and he went put on that bee thing and everything and went, went in them under buzzing all, and I'm on the outside praying that nobody finds their way out of there, you know, and they're all buzzing around and they're all over him and he goes like this and takes the bee. You've seen guys that he makes a little beard with them and everything, you know. <laughs> not me, you know, not me, not me. And finally he gets all the bees off him and he comes out. And I'm asking about the honeybees. I said, do honeybees sting? He said, no, not normally. They do. He said, but if there's not a lot of honey in a hive, they get agitated and will start to sting. And I thought, where's the honey in the hive? Where's the honey in the church? Is that why we stink each other? Is that why we criticize each other? The honey is just not there. The sweetness is gone. I'm going to quit perching on that. Honey, come to the piano, please. You folks been patient these weeks with me, and I know you'll get back to your to your old preacher again and get back, not to normal, because you don't want to go back to normal. God started something in your life. You want to continue that. But as we close tonight, I want to give an invitation. I'm going to call it a reverse invitation. Huh? Yeah, a reverse invitation. Now, often, I give an invitation, and I would say, all right, God's spoken to your heart. And there's something you need in your life, you come to an altar, right? You've heard me say that. If you need Jesus, you come to him. And certainly that opportunity is here tonight. If you're not saved and you're just plain Christian, you can settle that matter and truly be saved by the blood of Jesus tonight if you come with faith believing. But I'm not going to give that kind of invitation. It's there if somebody wants to have that. But the invitation tonight is going to be reversed. And the invitation, I'm going to ask you to come to this altar tonight, whoever you are, wherever you are tonight, not for 
for God to bless you, but for you to be a blessing to someone else. For you to come to an altar tonight and say, God, I don't want to be the barrier of blessing in somebody else's life, God. And I'm going to ask you to come and I'm going to do something tonight and I hope I'm not out of place and I hope I'm forgiven if this offends somebody. But Brother Shot, would you please come here tonight? I did not clear this with him. <laughs> he has no idea what I'm going to do. And brother, just stand right here facing your people tonight. Just stand here facing your congregation. We've all been through a lot in life. But we've been through it together as a church and as a people. And here's tonight what I want you to do. Please stand and look up this way. And I'm not in the habit of doing this. I want you to understand this is just burden and heavy on my heart tonight. Here's what I want you to do. I'm going to ask you, wherever you are, to step out from where you are and come down. No long sentences or anything. Just come to the pastor, shake his head, I want to be a blessing. And then meet God at this altar tonight and say to God tonight, God, make me a blessing in somebody's life. Make me a blessing, dear Lord, to somebody else. And make me a blessing to the pastor, to my brothers and sisters here tonight. Make me a blessing. Who will be first tonight to come? God bless you. Sir. You just come right now. That's right. Preacher, I want to be a blessing. I want to be a blessing. That's right. Just come shake his hand and kneel at this altar tonight. I want to be a blessing, preacher. Pray for me. I want to be a blessing. And then meet God at an altar tonight and say, God, make me a blessing tonight. I don't want to be a barrier to blessing with these things in my life. I want your blessings to flow freely tonight in my life. God bless you, folks. That's right. You take your time. We've got all the time in the world tonight. Let's not be critical. Let's not be bitter. Let's not be covetous. Let's not be a barrier to the blessings of our Lord tonight. May Jesus shine out of my life. May Jesus shine. be a blessing preacher. God, I want to be a blessing to somebody's life. Somebody's been a blessing to me. A brother, a sister, a preacher, a missionary. Now, Lord, I want to be a blessing to somebody else. Make me a blessing tonight. That's right. And when you do find your way back to your seat, 
hymn number 200, if you will. Praise